you know, we've been walking through this series uh, called Rooted, and we've kind of been asking this question, hey, what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to live deeply in a culture that seems to constantly be shifting, a culture that is always on the move, always hurried, what does it look like for us to live deeply? And we've been looking at different elements of the Christian walk, of what it means for us to be rooted. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at, at a word that uh, gets thrown around a lot. It's a Christian word we hear all the time. Um, but we're going to try to unpack what it really means. We're going to talk about this idea of what does it mean for us to be deeply rooted in humility, to be a humble people to be humbled towards one another, towards God, and what that does inside of us. And, um, you know, First Peter, Peter, the apostle, has some words to say to us about this. And one of the things I realized is that as a family, as a family in particular, this, this quality, this trait of humility is just essential. It's just so important. I feel it in my life. I feel it in my family. I feel it with my wife and my kids. I feel it with my closest friends and those that I, that I run alongside and work alongside and live alongside. Uh, this character trait of humility is just so important. So we're going to unpack some of what that means, what that looks like. And I'm going to start us just by reading through the Word. And now I'm going to start 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going we're to start in the middle of verse 5, and I'll explain why we're starting in the middle of it. At the beginning of chapter 5, the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians in the first century and he's going to address the, the leaders of the church first. He starts talking to the elders and the shepherds. He starts talking to them about what it looks like for them to imitate Jesus as they lead the body. And then at the beginning of verse 5, he shifts his focus and he begins talking to those who are younger. And so he says, hey, you, you that are leaders, you that are older. And then he says, hey, you that are, uh, are, are younger. And he starts talking to them. He gives specific instructions to both. But in the middle of verse 5, he kind of shifts his focus. And no longer is he talking to one part of the body. He's talking to all of us. So in the middle of verse 5, you can read along with me. We'll have the words on the screen. The Apostle Peter says this. He says, all of you, all of you, that's pretty, pretty inclusive. It means all of us, right? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord out of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5. And you know what I want us to see this morning, there's kind of, kind of three things that we're going to look at. And I think there's three really beautiful realities in this text, and we're going to deal with each of them. That The first one is this idea of how humility, how it impacts us interpersonally. That there's something about humility in the way we relate to one another as people. But it's not just interpersonal, there's also this divine aspect of humility and how we relate to the sovereign Lord, how we relate to him as God. But then there's this internal reality too for each of us. There's something internally. And so we're gonna talk about each one of those, but before we can do that, I think it's important that we have a good grasp on what this word humility means. And Paul says, clothe yourselves with it. He says, be humble. God opposes the proud, but lifts up the humble. But what in the world does it mean to, to be humble? What does it mean to embrace and be clothed with humility? And, you know, there's kind of this, this common understanding that to be humble is, is kind of this just lowliness mentality. That I'm just kind of, I'm, always, I'm kind of down on myself, you know, I'm like, I'm not, yeah, I never really see even the good in myself. It's just kind of like this lowliness of thinking. And yet, yet our greatest example of humility comes from Jesus. And there are so many places uh, over the course of Jesus's life where he not only speaks about humility, but he embodies it perfectly. And my favorite example of this is, is in John chapter 13. So, uh, you know, in John chapter 13, Jesus, he, he is with his closest friends. He's sitting at a table 
uh, with his 12 disciples, those he's designated to be apostles, and he's sharing the very last meal he's going to have before he goes and dies on a cross. And he's sitting around the table with them, and, and leading up to that meal, there have been all kinds of conversations. There's been conversations about, hey, who's, who's the greatest? Like the disciples are like arguing with one another. Who's going to be the greatest amongst us? You know, they're having conversations. Hey, who's going to get to see, you know, the, uh, Jesus was king. They're like, yeah, Jesus is going to be king. And two of them were like, I wonder who's going to sit at his right and his left. Maybe it's us. You know, there's all these conversations about who's the greatest among them. And, and in Luke chapter 22, Jesus, he, he says it straight out. He says, hey, guys, listen, who, who's greater? The one who's sitting at the table or the one who's being served? I mean, the one who's serving the one at the table. Who's greater, the one who sits at the table being served or the one doing the serving? And it's like, oh yeah, the one at the table. And he says, but I come among you as one who serves. And so in John 13, they find themselves around a table, a literal table. Jesus has said those words to him. They're sitting around the table with one another. And I love the way the apostle John describes it. In John 13, this is what he says. He says, listen, we have these words on the screen. He says, Jesus, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. And he knew that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus says, hey, who's greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? And everyone goes, oh, the one at the table. And Jesus says, yes, but listen, he, Jesus knew God had put all power under him. I mean, I can't think of a more radical thing to say about somebody. God has given him all power. The Almighty God has given him all power. Jesus knew that he had come from God. There's not much more of a noble origin story than that of Jesus Christ. He came from God. God had given him all power. But then it says he also knew that he was returning to God. In other words, he knew. He knew that he was about to walk a path of immense suffering and suffer death on a cross, but also resurrect from that death. And here's what I love is that Jesus, knowing all of those things, knowing completely his identity, he somehow goes from being the one sitting at the table that deserves to be served to being the one who goes about doing the serving. This is like the perfect picture of humility. You see, true, true humility, true humility is simply knowing who you are, no more, no less. You don't have an exalted sense of self, but you also don't have this like false, lowly sense of self. Jesus didn't walk around like self-deprecating, right? Like he knew who he was. He came from God. All power had been given to him. And yet he lowered himself to the position of a servant. This is the picture of humility, knowing who you are, no more, no less. You know your gifts, you know your strengths, but you also know your limitations, I love this. Jesus, he gets up from the meal with his followers and they make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus finds himself prior to his death praying to God Almighty. And what does he say? He, he's like, God, all power has been given to him and yet Jesus says, Father, not my will but yours be done. There's this humility that even though he has all power, he still humbles himself to God. Now you contrast this idea that true humility is knowing yourself no more, no less. You contrast that with this kind of false humility that sometimes we think about. It's kind of this, this oh, shucks mentality. You know, somebody compliments you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Somebody compliments you and you're like, you kind of know they told you you're good at something. And you kind of know you're good at it, but you don't want to be, you don't be arrogant. So you're like, oh no, I'm not, yeah, I'm not that good. You know, it's like, I mean, am I the only one that's ever done that? <laughs> Have you ever done that? Like, 
You know, you know, it's like we have gifts that we know we're good at, but we feel like we're not allowed to say we're good at them because we think that's prideful. And, and, yet, and yet Jesus knew. He, he, never, he was never self-deprecating. You see, true humility, it's not arrogance. It's, it's, but there can be confidence. Knowing who you are, no more, no less. You know, it's not false humility, but it's also not this, this tendency that sometimes we have to be fakers, you know, to want to prove that we have something to offer, to want to always feel like we have the right answer, to want to feel like we're, we're never wrong. You know, I had a mentor, and uh, he was my, my therapist in grad school. I was in grad school to be a therapist, and I needed a therapist really bad. And I remember he's like walking with me, and he, he kind of became like a mentor to me. And one of the things he said to me, he kind of saw this tendency in me to have to always be right. And he would ask me a question, even if I didn't know the answer. I mean, he saw right through me. I would try to pretend like I knew the answer. <laughs> And he gave me this assignment, and he said, hey, Aaron, this week, I want you as many times as possible just to say, I don't know, in any context, in any circumstance. Man, it was killer. Like, it was so hard. I felt so exposed. I'm like, suddenly people are talking to me about things they think I know, and I had to be like, I, I don't really know what you're talking about. You know, it was like this humbling kind of thing, you know, but what I found, it didn't like take away from who I was. You see, true humility is knowing who you are. No more. You don't have to fake your way and pretend you're more than you are, but it's also not any less. You don't have to self-deprecate and pretend that you're worse than you are. It's just this place of being, knowing who God has made you to be. And so that begins to impact us greatly when it comes to us living as family. And so this first part of humility, this interpersonal aspect, okay, this is the first thing we see Peter speaking to. He says, I want you to clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. You know, this is really important. You know, I love, he says, clothe yourselves. And this is the apostle Peter writing. He was there in the room the night that Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and washed feet. And the Greek word that, that Peter uses here to talk about clothing yourselves, it, it refers to a garment that is tied on. And you've got to know that Peter, as he, he's writing intentionally, he's thinking of Jesus tying the garment of servitude and humility around his waist as he began to serve the disciples. And he says, guys, that's, that's who we're meant to be to each other. We're, we're meant to tie that, that garment of humility and servitude around our waist to serve one another. And here's what this does within our body. Here's what it does. See, when we tie the garment of, of humility around our waist, it, it eliminates comparison. It enables celebration. And it empowers us in the midst of conflict. I'm going to unpack each one of those. It eliminates comparison. It, it enables celebration, and it empowers us in the midst of conflict. Here's what I mean. You know, a comparison is often said to be the thief of joy. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But you see, when you don't walk in true humility and you don't know who you are, no more, no less, there's this tendency to look around at everyone around you and kind of see yourself in reflection of who they are and compare yourself to who, what they have, what they're good at, what they're not good at. I, I see this all the time. You know, we see this in the Word. Jesus tells this beautiful story in Luke chapter 15. I don't know if you've never read it, you can go read it. I don't read, read it now, but there's this story where there's a very rich father. He has two sons. One son says, God, uh, says, Dad, give me my inheritance right now. And he runs away from the family. He goes and squanders all of his wealth, uh, living riotously and living in debauchery on prostitutes and drunkenness. He just spends all of his money. And then when he's at his uttermost bottom, he has no money left, he decides to go home to his dad. And he's like, I'll be a servant. And on his way home, his dad comes running to him. He finally sees him coming and he runs to him and he, he bestows upon him all these kind of symbols of who he is. He puts a robe around him. 
He puts a ring on his finger, which is like the family seal, saying, hey, you're still in. He puts sandals on his feet, which are like a sign of honor, and then he throws this huge party for him. But this guy has a brother, an older brother, who never left the house. And he sees what his dad is doing for his younger brother, and jealousy and envy is just stirred up in him. He's like, man, dad, why, why would you do that for him? You know, I, why, why would you, you've never done any of those things for me. And the dad looks at the older brother, and he says, he says son, you've always been with me. All, I've, all I have has always been yours. He's like, why are you comparing what you have with what your brother has? Your brother was lost. He was dead, and now he's alive again. You see, I, I see that happen so much um, in my own life, in my family. I see it happen uh, in our churches, right, where we will see the gifts that God has given our brothers and sisters, and instead of being able to celebrate, we end up comparing, and we go, man, why did they get that gift? Why are they good at this and I'm not? Why do they get attention here and I didn't? You know, there's this thing that happens we begin to compare ourselves. And, and, you know, I'm just going to tell you, the advent of social media has just ramped us up so much that when we're not able to stand in the place of knowing who we truly are, no more, no less, every time you get onto Pinterest, you start seeing what everybody else has and it makes what you have feel like less. Or you get on Instagram and it seems like all your friends are always doing the amazing adventures they're going to go to all the cool places. They're, you know, they have the, you know, they're taking cool pictures with their dog everywhere they go. And you're like, man, my dog's not nearly as cute as that dog. You know? Or it's like, there's, there's all these things we do. We just compare, right? Because, because we're not standing in this place of just knowing who we are no more, no less. It opens us up to begin comparing. And comparison is the thief of joy. You see, true humility enables us to stand where we are and know where we are, who God says we are, what God has given us, and not compare with what he hasn't given us to what he's given somebody else. So it eliminates humility, this ability to see ourselves for who we are, eliminates comparison, but it also enables celebration. You know, it's like when I stand where I am and I know who I am, I know the gifts I have, the strengths I have. I also know my shortcomings. Man, when I see gifts in other people that actually complement my shortcomings, no longer do I feel threatened, but I'm excited because God has equipped the whole family so thoroughly that what I don't have, my brother or my sister has, and we complement one another, and I want to celebrate the heck out of that because I need them instead of competing with them. I'm celebrating with them because God's equipped each of us uniquely for the purposes he has for his church. And when we don't walk in humility, others' gifts and other strengths can feel like a threat to us. Man, we walk in humility. We're thankful for the gifts we have, and we also celebrate the gifts in others. So you see, see it eliminates comparison and enables celebration and, and, and empowers us in the midst of conflict. Now, this sounds kind of weird, you know, like how does... How does it empower us in the midst of conflict? You know, um, as we seek to become family together, Ethos, you know, as you seek to press into really being known in your house church, as you press into to really making yourself vulnerable around communion, you know, you know, we ask these questions every time over communion and we pray with one another. As you seek to do that, here's one of the things I've found is that increased intimacy almost always leads to increased potential for conflict, almost always. I've seen it in marriage, I've seen it in parenting, I've seen it in roommates, I've seen it in close friends, and I've seen it in the body of Christ. Because see, the, the closer you press into someone, the more you get to know them, the more vulnerable you become with them, the more known you become by them. And the more known you are, the more risk there is in truly laying out your weaknesses, 
right? Truly laying out your fault, your flaws, your faults. Truly being able to say, hey, I'm, I'm less than here and you're greater than here. Or even be able to say, hey, I've got a strength here that might complement your weakness. It's like, it becomes harder and harder to do that the closer you are. And you know, humility, knowing who we are, no more, less, no, no, more, no less. Here, here's what that does to us in relationship with conflict. It, it empowers us to do simple things like be the first one to say, I'm sorry. That seems like a small thing, but man, any of you who have ever walked closely in relationship with any other human being, <laughs> you know how important it is to be able to say, I'm sorry. Man, as a husband, it's one of the hardest things, it's one of the hardest things I have to do. When I know there's conflict and, and true humility doesn't make me go, well, it was your fault, you did this, it was your flaws, your weaknesses. No, true humility goes, oh, I know who I am, no more, no less. I know I have flaws and I can clearly see my part in this conflict. And go to my wife who I've pledged my life to and be able to say, hey, I'm sorry, this was my area. This is what I gotta own. True humility empowers us to do that, not just in our marriages, but as parents, with roommates, with friends, with coworkers. True humility empowers us to walk through conflict. True humility, it doesn't just empower us to be able to first to say we're sorry, but it also empowers us to forgive and consider the other person's feelings. When you say, I'm sorry, even when you've been wronged, true humility goes, okay, I had a part in this, they did too, which means I've got to be able to forgive them. You know, when you don't have humility, all you can focus on is yourself and trying to protect the areas that feel vulnerable. And so you end up pushing people away. You can't say sorry. You can't forgive because it feels like a threat upon who you are. It feels like it's going to take away a piece of who you are. But true humility, you know who you are. You know what you have to give. You know where you've wronged and you know where you have more to offer. So you see, interpersonally, it eliminates comparison, it enables celebration, and it empowers us in the midst of conflict. But there's this other aspect of humility. It's not just about us with each other. It is interpersonal. It helps us really look like the body of Jesus with one another, but it is also vertical. There's this divine element of us learning to be humble before God Almighty, and this is what the Apostle Peter, he goes on to say in, in verse 6, he says, listen, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in due time he might lift you up. Now, this imagery to us, it, it's, it's hard, this, this idea of being humbled under God's mighty hand. Man, it's like we read that, and if we don't know the character of God, it almost sounds oppressive. Like, oh, like this giant hand, like, like coming down on us. It sounds like terrifying to be humbled under his mighty hand. And yet I love the word picture that Peter is painting here because he says not only, he says, listen, when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, what does he say God's gonna do? What does he say? He's gonna lift you up. It's like, look, look at this. It's like we stand, we stand on God's hand and we are humbled under God's hand and our existence, our identity, our being is found right here, right here in the hands of God Almighty. This is why Jesus was able to lower himself. He, guys, he had all power, all authority. He knew he came from God. He knew who he was. And yet Philippians 2 said he didn't hang on to that. He emptied himself of it to become a servant because he lived right here. He lived submitting himself to the will of the Father, standing, standing in the confidence of who God said he was. You see, when we humble ourselves to God Almighty, that is where we begin to find who we truly are. Guys, I know there's this tendency for us as people to feel like we've got to prove ourselves. 
We've got to make sure everybody else around us knows what we're good at. We've got to make sure that we have as much as everybody else. You know, we do this with materialism. We do this with abilities. We do this in so many different ways. And yet what God says is, hey, if you will just, if you will just stand in who I said you are. Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite verses. I'm like, my boys and my girls have memorized it. I've been helping my kids just get their mind around this reality that you are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. He created you. He created you to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Hear me on this. If you're sitting here and breathing and you're a human being today, I think that's all of us. I hope you're all breathing. It's like we're all human beings. If you're sitting here right now, you have been designed by God, created by God for specific divine purposes, eternally significant purposes. There's no reason for you to try to prove your worth. God has already told you who you are. You see, the problem is is, is we, we don't submit ourselves to him. We, we end up wanting to choose our own way, choosing independence from him, choosing our worth independent of him. And then we open ourselves up to being exposed for all the flaws we really have. But it's when we're here, our flaws. We go, man, I know I, know I have flaws, but man, look who God has made me to be. And he's completing me to the per- perfection of what he made for me as I submit myself to him and he is lifting me up. This is where our identity is found, under his mighty hand being lifted up by him. You know, humility is seeing our place in the family, seeing our place in the family, knowing that God put us here with unique purposes to contribute to the family. As all of us, all all of you are here, we're all here as this family, this little local body of Christians, and we're not here just to consume. We're here to contribute because God has designed you to contribute in whatever context you find yourself in as a follower of Jesus. So you see, humility has this interpersonal reality, but it also has this divine reality where we submit ourselves to God's plans. Now, this is not always easy. There are going to be some things that God asks of us that we don't necessarily want to give him, right? I mean, our culture has set up certain idols that we've been trained to bow down to. We've been trained that certain things belong to us as individuals, and nobody else should make any demands or claims on those things. You know, I know, I know we, harp on, we harp on finances and sexuality all the time. But the reason is because our culture has set those two things up as the ultimate personal thing that you should be able to hold on to that nobody else should be able to speak into. But the reality is, guys, it's all God's. Every good and perfect gift came down to us from God. Dave said that earlier, right? Every good thing is his. And so humility, submitting ourselves to God, goes, okay, God, everything about me is found here. So Lord, you, you made me, I'm, I'm your masterpiece, so what you say to me about my belongings, my, my, my relationships, my sexuality, my, my, all the things, that you know, my job, my career, my future, like God, all of those things, they're yours. And I've got to submit myself to that, and as I do that, you lift me up. So you see, humbling ourselves to God is challenging because it means we, we hand over the things of our life to him, but guys, it, it's beautiful. There's no better place than right here. No better place. In the hands of God, your creator, your father. He knows everything he has for you. And he longs to pour it out in your life. So it's interpersonal, it's divine. But there's also this internal aspect of humility. There's something internal that happens to us. You know, I've always read this passage and I felt like the very last verse, you know, verse seven almost felt like an add-on. There's all this talk about humbling yourself, humbling yourself, God will lift you up. And then he says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
And I was like, man, what does anxiety have to do with being humble? You know, remember, remember uh, 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 C.S. Lewis has this great phrase about humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And this is what the Apostle Paul gets at in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, listen, in humility, consider others of more importance than yourself. Consider others first. Consider others of more significance. You see, what happens outside of humility is we get trapped in this thought of only thinking of who? Myself, in my insecurities, in my fear, in my pride. All three of those things, insecurities, fear, and pride, all of them try to topple humility out of our lives so that we will fight for security, so that we will protect ourselves from that which we fear, or so that we will elevate ourselves in pride. And when we do that, we become so fixated on ourselves and, and constantly thinking about yourself will inevitably produce anxiety within you. It will. Because it leads to that place of comparison. You know, I, I think about what, what social media does. You know, I was talking with some friends on Thursday about this. And the reality is, it became very, very apparent that they're like, you don't really engage with social media very much, do you? I'm like, oh, what do you ask? You know, like, well, things I was saying did not feel like they connected. But here's the reality. You know, I, I got off of social media. I'm not saying you need to. I'm just saying this is what I felt like the Lord leading me to. Because I noticed, like, I started saying I, the only thing I had left was Instagram. And I would post stuff on Instagram. And I would say I was doing it because I was trying to create photo albums for my kids with this app that went along with it, you know. But here's the reality. Every time I posted something on Instagram... After I posted that photo, every single time, I would spend more time on Instagram than I ever had. I'd post the photo, and then I'd feel like drawn to it. And guess the first thing I would do when I got on there? All of you know, what's the first thing I would do? I'd click to see how many likes I got. How many people gave me a heart for this photo that I posted? How many people liked it or commented on it? Because I was, I was trying to gain something from that, and I realized I, I, was, I was trying to prove myself to the world by posting things on social media. And my friend on Thursday that we were talking to, she said, she said, you know, somebody challenged her and said, hey, every time you post something, ask yourself the question of why you're posting it. Because if you're looking for affirmation and approval, it's never going to be as high as you want it to be. Never. Doesn't matter how high it is. Doesn't matter if you're famous and you're getting thousands of likes, or if you're not very famous like me and you're getting just a few likes. It's like, it's never going to feel like enough. Never. And if you're posting it in order to learn about who you are, you're stepping out of this. And humility will be toppled in your life. And anxiety will be stirred up because you'll never feel like you're good enough. You'll start comparing yourself with every other person's post, comparing yourself with every other thing you see. And so I began to see like, oh man, when, when humility is gone, comparison creeps in. And when comparison creeps in, anxiety is just there ready. You know, and I didn't, I didn't plan on reading this part, but you know, the crazy thing is in the very next verse, Peter says, be alert and sober because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And you know how he does that? As soon as you don't get the likes you get or you don't get the feedback you like from a, a work performance or you don't get the feedback from friends or you don't get the, the affirmation that you're looking for, the enemy is right there to whisper in your ear and begin to attack you. And he will either try to puff you up or tear you down. That's what he does. If you struggle with pride, he'll puff you up. If you struggle with insecurity, he'll tear you down. But humility, right here. Man, I stand in who God says I am. I stand in my identity as an adopted, beloved 
child of God, a co-heir of Jesus Christ. Remember all things given to Jesus? And the Bible says you are a co-heir with Jesus. Everything is his and he longs to let you participate in everything. That is who we are. And humility keeps us right here. Know who we are, no more and no less. Guys, this is, this is the invitation. This is what's exciting. Is that, man, when we live into this, when we live into this, we will begin to celebrate all that God is doing amongst us, and it will be joyful. If you've been struggling with jealousy, with envy, with insecurity, with comparing yourself, if you're struggling with those things, God says, God says, hey, step right here, step under here, and let me tell you who I see. Let me tell you who I see when I look at you. And when we are freed in humility, he will often use you to speak those words to a brother or sister. And so that's why over communion every week, we try to get you talking to each other. We try to get you praying. We, we want to talk with one another because God will use us to call out the good in one another when we humble ourselves and stop trying to only focus on ourselves but focus on others. And so, so here's what I want to do. I've got a series of questions that I want to put on the screen here in a minute. And I want to release this to go to communion. And here's the reality. You're never going to be able to discuss every question that we're going to put on the screen. I want you to read through them. And I want you to see which one grabs you. That's how the Lord works sometimes. Um, whichever one grabs your heart, whichever one convicts you, whichever one, or, or maybe whichever one you want to avoid answering the most, <laughs> whichever way you want to look at it, I, I, I want you to get together with the people sitting around you, whoever you came with. You, know, you can go get communion. And I want you to just reflect on these questions, answer with one another, pray for one another. And man, let's just enter into the table of grace, letting the Lord build us up into who he says we are. As we take of the body and the blood of Jesus, may we be reminded that we are the family of God, sons and daughters of the great King. So I'll pray for us, and we'll put the questions up. You can take communion. We'll have some folks at the Respond Banner. If you'd like prayer, you can come pray with one of us. Uh, let's just move into a kind of a time of worship and ministry with one another. God, I love you. You are so gracious to us. Lord, I think of all the times where I've stepped out of your hands, where I felt like I've needed to prove myself, where I felt like I've needed to compete with a brother or a sister. And God, I just thank you that you're gracious. You've convicted me so many times in my life of my pridefulness, the times I've just fought tooth and nail to be right because I didn't want to be wrong, the places where I've intentionally put others down so I would feel higher. And God, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for the work that you continue to do in my heart to make me look like Jesus. God, would you lead all of us there? We just want to reflect your character, Lord. So lead us as we come around your body, Jesus, as we come around the bread, as we come around your blood and the cup. I pray that you would remind us of who we are, no more, no less. And may we press into you so that we may be built into the fullness of Christ, the fullness right here in our little church. So come, Lord, come. Lead us as we commune with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.